We're going to take a few minutes this morning. Let's find our Bibles and let's go to the book of Matthew again. Uh, there's a sermon outline there in your bulletin. We'll get through this rather quickly this morning, but page 1509 in that book rack Bible, we're in Matthew chapter 9, Matthew 9, verses 18 through 26, Matthew 9. And what a special day today. This is a day of ministry moments. And so I've entitled this message ministry moments because we're going to learn this morning that Matthew records for us some ministry moments with some people right here in this text. Uh, We've been in this text now for the last couple of months. Matthew 8 and 9 is all about proving that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the King of Kings. He's Israel's King. He has all the credentials because look at the miracles he does. Look at what he does. And we're not quite finished with this little section, but we're nearing the end of it and we're going to see some amazing things here today. And right here in this text, Matthew's giving us this account where Jesus has done some miracles. Now he's in the home of of Matthew, this tax collector who was saved. It's Matthew's own account of that. There's a bunch of folks in the house with Matthew. You've got Pharisees. You've got John's disciples are there. You've got sinners, tax collectors. You've got every conceivable background of persons there in Matthew's home. And then some, some questions are being fired at Jesus, and we heard about that last week. And, and all, you can't imagine the kinds of people that are there. And just like here this morning, we've got all kinds of backgrounds here this morning. And what I see in this text, I see something very powerful about ministry moments. And I want to just read the text. Let's read it, and then we'll hop right in here. This is verse 18. While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. When Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, go away. The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread all through all that region. All right, now. I mean, these are amazing stories. What I want to do in this story, and you can see this is very active. There's this man whose daughter has died. There's a woman who needs special touch of healing. There's a crowd that scorns Jesus' presence, who then gets put outside. There's the raising of the dead of this little girl, this 12-year-old girl. And yet the center figure of this entire story is Jesus himself. He's the centerpiece of the narrative. He gets up, he goes with the man, he stops to speak with the woman and heals her. He enters the house of the chaotic scene where the mourners are lamenting the little girl's death and rises her up. (sighs) Ministry moments. These are amazing moments. And like all of us today, there's a moment for us right here in this text. What I want to do is I want to teach through this text by breaking these little vignettes in what do I call, what, what I'm going to call ministry moments, thin slicing the life of Jesus, trying to get an understanding of the pattern of Jesus' life and who Jesus is by a very narrow look at his life found in these little vignettes. So the first one I'm going to suggest is a moment of desperation, verses 18 and 19. I think this is a moment of desperation. I don't think any of us would argue against the critical moment that this man faces as he comes speaking to the Savior about his 
his child, 12-year-old daughter who has died. Now, the Matthew text tells us that she has died. Mark and Luke's text says that when they come to Jesus, uh, he's coming saying that his daughter is deathly ill. And then on their way, the news comes that she has died. So Matthew, Matthew's whole point is not to focus on the little girl here. His focus is on the work of Jesus. So Matthew is summing up. Matthew is just trying to give us a quicker picture. So his view of what's taken place is a little different from what Mark and Luke talk about. But can you imagine? I mean, there's nobody here sitting here today that, that can't at least empathize with the fact that if you've got a 12-year-old and she is either dying or has died, that that is a critical moment. I mean, I I cannot get out of my mind the picture of that little three-year-old boy on the shores of the Mediterranean this week, or Turkish shores. Um, and the father who says that not only his boy, uh, that little boy, Alan, I think is his name, I don't know how to pronounce that, but his five-year-old brother and the man's wife. And, and all he does now is want, he wants to live by their grave. I mean, we've read stories, we've seen the travesties of what's going on in the Middle East and we, we, we empathize and we see this and we think to ourselves, we say, how in the world could anyone cope with or deal with something of this magnitude? And all I want to show you in this little vignette is that in this kind of moment, if you're facing a critical moment today, if you've got some crisis going in your life like this man did, it's, it's in this kind of moment that we can go to Jesus this is the moment to come to Jesus. Notice uh, we can come to Jesus, but we don't always come to Jesus. We find excuses like we heard this morning. Life gets busy. We move on with our lives. There's a lot of things that keep us from actually coming to Jesus. But here in this text, we see that this man actually does. He actually gets up and he goes to Jesus. And I think it's amazing that, that in Mark's account and Luke's account of this story, that on their way, the news comes that, that this little girl has died. And in this text, it says that, that she has died, and he's asking Jesus to come. And, and that just tells me that even when in all accounts would tell us that it's too late to come to Jesus, that's a good time to come to Jesus. I mean... Think about this guy. His daughter has died and he's going to Jesus or he's on his way with Jesus and he hears his daughter has died, but he's still going to bring Jesus along. He's still coming and asking Jesus for something. It's never too late to go to Jesus. I, I remember uh, my mom, my dear mom, she passed away in the year 2000. We had her graveside service in a little area outside of Grove Lake, Minnesota, out in the rural area of of Grove Lake, Minnesota, and the main road going by, there was this little cemetery there. This is where she wanted to be buried. So we had this beautiful little graveside service, there were about 25 of us, close family and friends that were there in that service. I was officiating it. We had a beautiful time, and about three quarters of the way through that service, a gentleman who was there, who's a distant relative, actually dropped in the service, just bang, fell over. Everybody thought he was having a heart attack. So we're all on our cell phones, we're calling emergency services quickly enough, it was amazing, they got there, ambulance, ambulance pulls right down into the cemetery, now just get, get this picture, there's a grave site, there's a casket right next to a hole in the ground, and there's an ambulance there. <laughs> I, I thought, you know, my mom had a great sense of humor, and I, I, I just can't imagine how this 
if the Lord gave her a little window into this, because here's her cousin who's dropped down and they're doing like stuff on him, found out he did not have a heart attack. He had heat stroke. It was a very hot day. And he just dropped there. But I, we, we thought about this afterwards, a family. We thought people driving by on that main road might have looked down there at the graveside, the casket, and an ambulance and thought, I think they might be a little late. <laughs> it's never too late to come to Jesus. You might right now, this is the enemy's great tactic to say, too late for you. You, you need help, but it's too late. Jesus, it's never too late to come to Jesus. And I love verse 19. There's something a little technical in the text. Uh, the text, the literal Greek translation shows how responsive Jesus is. It literally says, Jesus up and went. When the man comes to Jesus, Jesus just gets right up. And we know from this man, he was a, from Mark's account and Luke's account, the, our text just says he was a ruler. He was a ruler of the synagogue. This is the kind of guy that would not typically come to Jesus. And we could maybe assume that Jesus would have not had anything wanting to do with this guy. I mean, he's kind of the opposition, but when he comes to Jesus, which is never too late to come to Jesus, and when he comes to Jesus, Jesus gets right up and he goes with him. Just boom, instantaneous, moves along with this guy. And that to me tells me, here's, here's this thin slice of Jesus' life. Look at this. If you want to put this down in your notes, Jesus is objective. He's what, what I mean by that is he's impartial toward those who come to him. Jesus is never going to say, well, I'm sorry, you know, you've been an opponent or you've been an adversary or you haven't lived the life that you should have lived or you should have straightened this out earlier in your life or why are you, you're in this mess because you deserve to be in this mess. Jesus never does that. Jesus is, is objective. He is impartial toward those who come and we find this all through scripture. James 4, 8 reminds me, come near to God. He will come near to you. All God wants us to do sometimes is just to draw near to him and he'll do the rest. He will step in. We celebrate communion this morning morning. In just a, little, a few minutes, we're going to celebrate once again the reminder that we all come to Jesus and he takes us as we are. We come to him by faith. We lay our lives before him. It doesn't matter what sin we've done. It doesn't matter the life we've lived. If we come to Jesus, he meets us right there. And it's never too late. It's a moment of desperation is met with a life that Jesus the life of Jesus. The second thin slice of Jesus' life comes in this next little vignette with this woman. All of a sudden, boom, verse 20, this woman steps up into the scene. I call this a moment of isolation. Now, she's certainly desperate like this guy is too. And by the way, uh, both Luke and, and Mark's account remind us that this woman uh, has been uh, in this bleeding condition for 12 years. Isn't it interesting that Matthew pairs these two things, a 12-year-old girl and a woman who has been paralyzed by a uh, you know, emotionally and, and socially by this bleeding uh, issue in her life for 12 years. Now, her desperation was a part of it, but the reason she's coming to Jesus, I believe, is because she is so tired of living an isolated life. When we studied the book of Leviticus, we learned that if you had an issue of blood, uh, you were cast out of the community. This is a woman who had no synagogue experience, no time with friends. She was an outcast. Every time she was seen publicly, she would have to say unclean. She was socially out. 
not in. And in those kinds of moments, maybe that's the way you feel today in your life. You're socially out. You're on the outside looking in. Every time you come to something, you always feel like you're not a participant. You're an observer. You're always on the outside. This woman was on the outside and she wanted in. And so she comes to Jesus. And I'm reminding myself, this, in this kind of moment, we can come to Jesus too. And she thinks to herself, if I just... If I just touch the hem of his garment, and it, the text tells us, verse 20, that she came up behind him and touched the edge of, of his cloak. Did you notice that she comes up where? Behind him. It's obvious she really hadn't planned on addressing him or saying anything. She wanted to come in stealthily, without notice. She wants a hit and run with Jesus. Some of us can relate to this too. We, we say, Lord, just touch me. Don't ask of me anything. There's a lot of us that are sort of out on that periphery. We want, we want something of Jesus and we know that he's our answer, but we're terrified to step into a place where we might have to deal with him in a, in a personal way. And, and here's the thin slice. Jesus here demonstrates a perceptivity. He's perceptive. He he sees what her need is, and, and he turns to her, and he says, woman, uh, your faith has healed you. Now, th there's nothing in the text that, uh, anywhere in the Bible that would tell us why the woman believed that she, she could just touch the hem of his garment and be healed. And, may, and maybe she saw some other healings that he performed, and so maybe she thought, if I could just get close to that power. The point I want to make with you is that there's nothing in the Bible that would indicate that just by touching Jesus that you could be healed. She had her own view of what Jesus might do if she could do it her way. And I, and I don't know, I find a little comfort in that because I meet a lot of people that got strange ideas about what Jesus might be able to do for them. But here's the thing about Jesus. Listen, Jesus is so perceptive. When she comes and touches him, he... The other gospel writers tell us that Jesus sensed power going out of him, and so he turns around and he stops, and he, the whole parade, you can imagine the gospel of Mark says the disciples were sort of aghast. How could you, how, who touched you? What are you talking, there's hundreds of people around us right now. And you're asking who touched me? But Jesus, watch this, he says to her, and it's a beautiful little thing, he says, he says take heart, daughter. Look at how tender Jesus is. Your faith has healed you. So actually, what Jesus is helping her see was that it wasn't just the touch. It wasn't just touching the hem of her garment, of his garment. Jesus wanted to inform her that it was her faith that was bringing this great work about in her, in her life. You know, we say around here all the time that, um, we, that there's not many roads that lead to God. I mean, a lot of people believe that in our culture. All roads lead to the same, you know, all religious are like spokes in a wheel and everything. No, that's not, we don't believe that. We believe that there is one way to God. His name is Jesus Christ. We come through Jesus. But, but I want to add to that to say that there's many ways that we come to Jesus. <laughs> we don't always come the same way. We come in critical moments. We come in chronic misery moments like this woman. And here Jesus is just helping her see that he's straightening out not only her theology of, of himself, but he's also giving her more than she anticipated. What is he giving her? He's publicly stating to her in front of all these people that now you can be in community. He's restoring her to community. He gives us what we need and even more. This is the perceptivity of Jesus. I love that. 
Now, Jesus is not always the safest option, but he's the only option. Uh, in Dan- Daniel Doriani's book, uh, a commentary on the book of Matthew, he cites the story of C.S. Lewis's uh, Chronicles of Narnia. And, and I remember this. It's a beautiful scene where this, this girl named Jill who is wandering about and lost and very thirsty, she finds a stream and she comes to the stream, but it's guarded by a lion who is the Christ figure in the Chronicles. His name is Aslan. And she's afraid to move toward the stream because of the lion, but she's also afraid to move away because of her thirst. And at length, Aslan speaks in a wild but golden voice, Daniel Doriani says, if you're thirsty, come and drink. Fearful, Jill hesitates, so the lion asks, are you not thirsty? I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I will come, said Jill? I make no promise, said the lion. Do you eat girls? Jill asks. I have swallowed kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. Then I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. Isn't that a beautiful picture? You know, we want this hit and run with Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you must come and drink from me, but yes, I'm going to turn your whole life upside down. And in turning your life upside down, I'll also turn it right side up. There's a, a desperate moment, there's a, an isolation moment. There's, there's this other little moment here that I see, it's not actually in the text, but it's inferred in the text. I call this a moment of interruption because I can't help but to think how this man feels. He's on his way with Jesus to his daughter's deathbed or where she has died and suddenly there's this thing with this woman and everything stops. I wonder if some of us feel like in the midst of our going with Jesus, something else has come up that has taken his attention away from us. In this kind of moment, I've written down, we need to keep coming to Jesus. Some of us stop coming to Jesus because we think he's got bigger fish to fry. Started with us, sure, but things have moved on and it doesn't seem as critical anymore, doesn't seem as important as any, anymore. But here's what, this is the thin slice that we see about Jesus. Jesus is not only, uh, uh, not only objective and he's not only perceptive, but watch this, he's receptive. He extends himself to all without limitation. Uh, there's enough of Jesus to go around. His infinite love and grace and power and justice and provision is part of his character and essence. And there is enough of Jesus for me and for you and for every person on planet earth. If they will look to him, he is enough. We don't have to look anywhere else. There's enough of him to go around. And once again in the communion act this morning, we are saying that again. We all eat of the same And from the same, we receive abundance through Jesus. So so don't be discouraged. Here's a pastoral moment. I think some of us, uh, this can happen in churches too. What's going on in the church down the street sort of looks like God's not working here anymore. 
I meet with pastors, and sometimes pastors lament the fact that there's this great church in town where all the people are coming to and all the great ministries are happening. Sometimes we have that reputation. I'm not saying that proudly, but sometimes there's little churches that are around us that feel like it's all happening here and it's never happening down there. And I love getting around pastors like that who might not say that, but I can sense that and ask them, what is God doing in your midst? And come alongside and say, God is doing just as much there as he is here. It does not matter how many people people are here, that we could have a big church and not have near as much of what's going on with the Spirit of God than in a little church where the Spirit of God is strong. Don't ever think that numbers is the indication of a great work of God. The question is, are we submitted to the, the work of God that it might be great in our midst? And what we learn from that is that Jesus, yes, is receptive. He extends himself to all without limitation. The final little thing here, and this, this is verse 23 through 25, there's this moment of derision, and Jesus comes into this crazy scene. I, I've been in scenes like this myself where there's mourning and crying and people are in so much pain. And Jesus, look at this, love, faith, and hope come walking through the door, and what Jesus meets is doubt, pain, and mocking. But when Jesus comes to confront the terrible human disasters that come into our lives, he sees one thing, what he alone can do. And that's why he's there. He's there to bring peace, hope, and restore faith to the people who are around him. And in this reality, watch this, in this reality there is no room for the noisy din of doubt and scorn. In these kinds of moments, we can see just who hasn't yet come to Jesus. So seeing the scene, Jesus says, the girl is not dead but asleep, meaning this is a temporary condition. I'm about to change, I'm about to change everything about this. Your whole universe is about to change with what you're going to see. But I can't do this work in this environment because there's scorn and doubt in this place. And so Jesus says, get out. This is a, this is a, a kind of a critical moment. Jesus says, get out. What I learn in the thin slice about Jesus here is that his, he's corrective. He calls doubt and ridicule out to make way for his work. And there's someone here today that needs desperately the work of God in his or her life, but there's so much scorn, bitterness, doubt, fuming in your spirit that there's no room for him to work. And that's got to go. You got to say to that, get out. Because his life is not going to come in where there's doubt and bitterness and scorn. Once outside, Jesus does an amazing work. What does he do? He raises the dead. By the way, we've, saw, we've seen this today in the baptisms. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is been by grace you have been saved. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, Ephesians 2, 5, and 6. We were all dead until Christ himself raised us from the dead. Do you believe that? If you believe that, then you know that Jesus Jesus is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He has the credential. And out of that, verse 26, news spread. There's this moment of mission where Jesus' word goes out. Well, there's a lot more we could talk about that, but in the thin slice of Jesus' life here in this text, this is what I see. Which brings us to this moment today where we've got to do some business. We're at the stream like little Jill. 
And we're going to come and drink from the stream even though the guardian lion, as dangerous as he may be, can change everything in your life. Let's go to the Lord right now in prayer.